we're back. <laughs> when you're like, we're recording tonight, I got butterflies in my stomach. I did too. It, like for one second, I was like, I'm tired. And then I thought of being with you, talking with you, sharing my research with you. And I was like, I'm not tired. I'm excited. <laughs> it's going to be great. Fuck my period. It can just <clears throat> go die. So can you hear that? Yeah. I can <laughs> Can you tell Axel to get in his bed? Tell him. Axel, <laughs> Young pack leader. Did he do it? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, and then daddy. Why did we even start recording? Okay. Now I'm sweating. Um, hi, I was, my first instinct was to just apologize a bunch for the long break. And then I was like, just stop. It's yeah. every single episode. You're just apologizing. Yeah, so. It's fine. Hopefully you guys have not unsubscribed at to, until this point. Not until, hopefully not <laughs> now. Brad, <laughs> Brad liked one of my photos on Instagram the other day and I was like, oh, Brad, I hope, I hope he still <laughs> listens to our podcast. <laughs> Because it'd be really Only embarrassing. Only Brad till the end. That would be fine. That would make me happy. Oh, Brad, me too. The second Brad stops, that's it. We're done. That's the end of the life of this podcast. I also think if I saw Brad, because he lives here, if he was like in Denver, hey, I'm Brad, yeah, like if, yeah, what? Yeah, he's from Denver. No way. I didn't know that. Yes, I'm pretty sure. Well, now I need to fact check myself, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure he does because I looked. I think I clicked on his thing and it was maybe not maybe i'm just dreaming but if i ever saw him i was like i don't think i mean it's covid now mm -hmm. i wouldn't not be able to hug him so sorry yeah. Brad. if you ever come up to me just know you're getting a hug <laughs> Brad! i think i would just freak <laughs> out like a <laughs> it's just not him <laughs> it's just a man named brad <laughs> trying to ask me about something <laughs> I was thinking about what Brian would, like what artist Brian, cousin Brian mm -hmm. would do, not to be confused with brother Brian. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, he's not allowed to do an artist that he wants to do no. because he has to do contemporary, which I think will be a way better he's conversation. He's going to be so feisty. I can already. He's going to be so feisty and we're going to be feisty back. I mean, that's my plan. I don't know about you. You're fe you're just as feisty when it comes to things like this. <laughs> and um, sorry, Diego. And then um, it's going to be a fun episode. He yeah. also listens, doesn't he, yeah, to our yeah. podcast? He asked me the other day when we're doing a new one. Why does he listen when he doesn't like contemporary art? I think he just... <laughs> I think he's a fucking faker. That's what I think. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I like the body and I draw it in a really renaissance way. Someone from the renaissance or the neoclassicism. Uh, maybe he should do a person that he was like, this is not art. That should be his criteria instead of someone he loves. Yeah. And then we have to convince him that it is art. <laughs> um, the other day, I re-downloaded Duolingo and I mm -hmm. started doing Latin just oh, yeah. to see if I remembered any of it, which... You, no. This makes it sound like you have no kids. I don't. <laughs> I was going to say a lot learn of free Latin. time on your hands, but then <laughs> I'm like, she fucking downloaded Latin. Ah, that's hilarious. What the fuck is she doing? Yeah. Um, that's pretty much Latin, it. Latin, ukulele. <clears throat> Just life's gotten really weird <clears throat> in quarantine. <laughs> 
And you only have like a full herd of animals. Also, I found someone who's making handheld 4x5 cameras, which I'm so excited about. What? Yeah, it's kind of like the size of a Polaroid camera. Yeah. They fit the back film holders in them. So you like slide them in the back, but it's like handheld. Wow. So it's not like a huge, massive, like the speed graphic ones that are heavy and and definitely not like the studio 4x5s with like the monorail and the tripod. So I'm so excited. That's so awesome. How did that other one go? Didn't you have another one? The speed graphic? Yeah, it's nice. It's still just a bit bulky. Like my wrists are so fragile. Oh. But even holding my my Hasselblad for an hour like this, you know, when I turn Mm -hmm. it, my wrist starts clicking. I mean, listen, I have so many problems, so I can't be talking about being a wimp because I'm a total wimp. So I hold I hold my paint like a quart of paint mm-hmm. the same way. And this wrist is so messed yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. And then carpal tunnel on my other hand. The other, <laughs> at Christmas, Rachel pulled out a Polaroid camera that was made by whoever tried to start making Polaroids Fuji? after Polaroid. Like the Instax Fuji one? No, not the little baby. Mm. It's gigantic. Oh. No. It's a uh, it's like a regular I feel like the print is like a regular four by six. Might be a little smaller, but it's like long way like landscape mm-hmm. dimensions. But she pulled it out and the camera was like this big. <laughs> She's like, I wanna take something on my Polaroid. And I was just like, What the fuck is that? <laughs> I tried to remain normal. And she was like, oh, yeah, it's not like the little Instax one. And I'm like, okay, well, I just have a regular Polaroid one. Like, I think it's the brand that started making it in between, but before the it's regular like the Polaroid ru- the USSR back. knockoff. Truly. I was just like, ah! <laughs> so big. She pulled it out like it was normal. She, I mean, she has a gigantic bag. But she's Still a spy so- camera. They send you one picture and one <laughs> I was just like, please don't send the Soviet Union my Christmas picture. I'm all in my jammies still. <laughs> oh. Um, anyway, that just reminded me. That is probably heavier than your 4x5 one. Oh, do ghosts? you want to see a crazy camera? I have it right above me. Ready? <laughs> one second. A what? Oh my God. That's how big it was. <laughs> <laughs> this thing's like. A cannon. That's bigger than your face. <laughs> oh my god! Holy shit! Apparently, that's these- like comparing old Mac desktops. <laughs> like, desktop. doesn't it look like that? Gigantically rounded on the back. Yeah. Apparently, oh this was god. mounted to I think World mm-hmm. War Two airplanes to take photos oh, in flight. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> no one's holding it. <laughs> Just mounted an to an airplane. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not my wrists. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Is it usable? Uh, I think I could get it to work. It doesn't work right now. It's the oh. only one of my cameras that doesn't work. I just wrote a huge thing about that, you know, the dark academia aesthetic and how so mm-hmm. I'm so mad that it's just... Yeah, you're very mad. When you posted the other day, like, before <laughs> this was even a term, I was like, calm down. <laughs> and also, how do you know that that term wasn't existing yet? Because I've done research. <laughs> People were post so angry. Because they're like... They're like, have jars and like fill them with random stuff and just put them on your shelf and like buy books and put them, but like nothing's for a purpose. 
And that's what drives wait, me crazy. Wait, 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 wait. People are explaining how to do it? Yeah. So there's a website that's dedicated to like, here's the books you should buy. Here's the movies you should watch. Here's the podcast you should listen to. Okay, that's weird. Here's the playlist you should listen to. Here's how you should decorate your room. Here's what you should wear. Everything is planned out. Here's words you should know. All of those things. Yeah. Okay, that makes me upset too. That's very strange. You could do that with anything. It's like, why don't you just like the things that you like and then go find out more about the things that you like and then that's your thing instead of just like, I like that whole thing. Let's just pretend to be that whole thing. It doesn't make any sense. No. Um, welcome to Middlebrow. This is a mostly contemporary art podcast hosted by me and my best friend. My name is Olive Moya and this is my bestie, Lindsay Schultz. Good day. I didn't let you say anything. Nope. <laughs> Is for artists, but also but also for people who want to know about art, but are intimidated. Because trust us, we're right there with you. Yep. That's why it took me approximately 159 <laughs> days to complete this <laughs> research because my brain was intimidated by reading. How did you first hear or see Lorna's work? I don't remember. We didn't even say her name, right? Lorna Simpson. You clicked on the episode, you know. Yeah, this is Lorna Simpson. I'm sure there's a plethora of fun things that we're going to do that Lindsay will put in that episode notes to lure you in. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But really, if you got lured into this, you're in for a treat. She's perfect. Lorna Simpson, she's, I I, I honestly think it was just like, I've been looking specifically trying to look at a lot of like black artists and people of color that are working in art and just like anything else it leads you to more Mm -hmm. which is awesome i mean that's how it should be (laughs) there should just be it shouldn't be a fucking anomaly all the time so um so i think it was just one of those things like that person some person must have posted something of hers Mm -hmm. and then i looked at it and whatever okay um so this is her she looks like she's 25. Seriously. She's not, she's not 25. <laughs> and her little cute, whatever those heels they're called, like pointy-toed heels. Best style. I know. It's better than dark academia. <laughs> Forced on yourself. <laughs> I'm sure she's an actual intellectual. She was putting shit in jars way before mm-hmm. any of us were born. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> um, She was born on August 13th. She's a Leo, like Lindsay, um, 1960. So she's an African-American multimedia artist, but is known for her photo and text installations and photo collages and films. Um, you know how much I love film. <laughs> <laughs> All of his favorite is it's film and video work, work and performance. Ugh, it's just the best. It's my favorite. <laughs> um, it's not. Did but you watch any of her films? I watched three full films that were like 15 minutes each and i'm very proud of myself yeah it was worth it it it's not i don't know i guess it's just like in a museum setting i can't sit there i'm like i got other shit to there's do right been now. I'm at a several that i've been obsessed with and then others that i walk in i'm like i i can't sit in here yeah i think it's really just the setting for me mm. like sitting at home alone on my computer was actually perfect yeah. 
So most people were calling her a photographer because in her early years, she was very photo based. But she does everything. I mean, I should have included in here. She paints. She draws all the stuff. Okay. She grew up in Crown Heights, a neighborhood in Brooklyn. Um, her father, Elian, was Jamaican Cuban. And he was from Jamaica, I think. Her mother, Eleanor, was African-American. I love that name. Elian and Eleanor totally reminds me of my aunt and uncle whose names were actually Norm and Norma. No way. And I was just like, how in the hell? And they lived in a small town in Nebraska. I'm like, you two found each other, had the same name essentially, and decided that you were good for each other <laughs> in a town of 3,000 people in Nebraska? Like, I don't understand how <laughs> you got married to a person with the same name as you. It's like me and Cole getting married. Cole and yeah. Nicole. It's weird. <laughs> So this is Elian and Eleanor. Oh. I guess it's a little more different, but Norma Norma's legit. Norma Norma. And as a kid, I was like, it clicked to me. I was just like, it made sense. Like, yeah, they're married and their names are Norma Norma. <laughs> as an adult, I'm like, that's an anomaly. That <laughs> <It> never happens. <laughs> um, anyway. So she's interested in photography at a young age. She had the flu one winter when she was young and got stuck in bed. And so she was cutting out and saving the Kleenex coupons on the side of the box to win a Polaroid camera, which <laughs> we just happen to talk about. Kids don't have to work for anything these days. Absolutely. What did you do? Did you do any work when you were young to get something? Yeah, I just I mean, worked because I wasn't allowed not to work. <laughs> My parents just forced us to do shit. Yeah, like I had to do stuff around the house or the property in order to. When I was in eighth grade, I got my first brick Nokia phone, but I had to add, like save up money to buy that. Art-wise, I just went around taking photos with my mom's 70s Pentax camera, but it had no film in it. I just liked the sound Aww, of yeah. the like, mirror flipping up in the shutter. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't think that I... There's nothing like that, though, where it was like, I guess my parents were just around so much. I didn't do anything on my own. It was all like directed mm -hmm. by them. It seems like kids in the 60s and 70s were just like, and then I just decided to mow people's lawns and took their money <laughs> and got to do stuff with it. A gray area for child labor laws. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like my parents weren't just like handing out money to me. They were just like clean the whole garage and scrub it down. Um. Anyway, so her portrait, her first portraits were of her beagle collie, which is so cute. Aww. But um, that's a weird mix. A beagle collie sounds so terrible. It sounds like a nightmare. So that's kind of her start to photo stuff. Okay. Then they moved from the Midwest. They had moved from the Midwest to New York and her parents took her to tons of concerts and plays and museums and dance performances. What a cool she was very. I know. She was very cultured. <clears throat> and she took courses at the Art Institute of Chicago, no big deal, in the summer while she was visiting her grandma who lived in Chicago. Wow. Um, so she kind of sounds like she went to Chicago often. Do you know what her parents did? I mean, they seem to be really into the arts. Were they? Shit, I forgot to write it down. I felt like it was connected, but not entirely. It was one of those, like, you could tell that they appreciated, mm -hmm. but they didn't do it as a profession. Okay. Here, let me just see if it's easily accessible real quick. It says here that although they later didn't approve of Lorna's career choice. What? Perhaps their disapproval is partly what fueled her tenacity. And then, if she wasn't cool enough, she attended the High School of Art and Design. She says, I grew up surrounded by the arts in theater and dance. 
those early childhood experiences opened me up to this thing called authorship that people make things and they make things up and they create entire worlds. And I think I was very aware that it was a possibility and therefore that it could be a possibility for me. Obviously, then she just goes straight to the arts path. She received this is like she received, her way of defying her parents. Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> she receives her BFA in painting from the School of Visual Arts in New York, uh, 1983. During that time, she interned at the Studio Museum in Harlem. Uh, while she was there, she got, I know. <laughs> She, while she was there, she got to see and be influenced by David Hammond's work um, because he was an artist in residence there at the time. Hmm. In between her BFA and her MFA, she travels to Europe with her boyfriend and also Africa. And then they kind of go all over the U.S. as well. And she tells how they just had their clothes and their cameras and film. And she's, oh, she's lived like out everyone's. She's a romanticized movie. I know. She lived out everyone's utopian dreams, for real. Um, and her boyfriend became a part, a member of Magnum, not the condoms, or <laughs> or guns, <laughs> or the Tom Selleck show. Um, What's Although Magnum? those all sound very manly. Yeah. <laughs> it's apparently this international photography collective. Um, I didn't know about it. Lorna said, I got to really see the formal mechanisms of street photography. I got to understand the industry of it, the kind of people that worked in it, and I found the way their work was interpreted was so different from the way they lived their lives. I felt there was more I wanted to say with photography. So then I found this weird, but then it was kind of explained. Uh, she goes to UCSD, which is San Diego, University of San Diego. Yep. Um, well, it's not the, it's the University of California at San Diego mm -hmm. to get her master's in 1985. And so I watched this interview where she's describing how she decided to go there. And basically a friend talked her into it because of, because of the beach and it was like really? nice weather. <laughs> yeah. She's like, it's so warm there and there's the beach. And she was like, okay. <laughs> wow. She, she literally said, I needed a change of scene. It was a cold, sleety New York evening. And when Carrie started talking about the Californian beach, I was sold. I remember getting a brochure and that being the only impression I had of the entire place. I went on a lark. Which is <laughs> nuts. That's so hilarious. Like, well, when I looked at Otis, the thing that stood out to me was that crazy staircase to the art department. Oh, you know, the yeah. The elevator and staircase uh -huh. and like the roof. And I was like, this looks like an art school. <laughs> and that's why I was initially drawn to it. That's so funny. I don't remember why I was. I don't think I've told that. anyone that because that's so embarrassing. So Wait. the whole world can hear it now. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Gotta have something on you. Did you, you visited first though, right? Yeah, I visited there. I visited there in CalArts for undergrad. Um, mm. But I, I liked it for grad school. I'm very happy with the order that I did. Yeah, I think Otis is definitely like a beginner school. Mm -hmm. But in a great way. Yeah, it's really good at helping you form your direction. It's like for younger. So to be fair, I almost went to USD, which is a Catholic university in San Diego. Is and it? yeah, it's on a hill. It was beautiful. We visited when I was in high school. And there's just like white, beautiful buildings and churches with mm -hmm. big bells and stuff on top of a hill. And you can see the ocean. And it's just gorgeous and then i got to otis and i was like okay this is better because it's weirder what were you gonna study and, and there's no churches <laughs> <laughs> were you still gonna do art if you went to us no this was before my parents talked to me about the art oh. school 
path. I was still just like a UC school or a good school mm-hmm. or whatever, something close to the beach, close to home. Okay. So her teachers at UCSD include a conceptualist, Alan Capro, mm-hmm. a performance artist, Eleanor Anton, filmmakers, Babette. That's a I love really cool, Eleanor That's Anton's a cool work. name. Oh, you do? I don't even know who that is. Yeah, she did these images of her like tracking her body. Add it to the list. We haven't done a performance artist yet. We should do, what's his name? Who shot himself? Burden. Chris Burden. Chris Burden, yep. Uh, filmmakers Babette Mangal- Mangolt and Jean-Pierre Gorin. 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 Jean-Pierre Gorin. And a poet, David Anton. However, photography still held her main interest, but these people definitely influenced her practice and mm-hmm. changed how she made things, obviously. Here's where her collages start. At UCSD, she's pulling portraits of black women she saw in magazines and advertisements and adding phrases to them. Simpson says that this work came from looking at how society regulates our bodies and how we think about ourselves. But apparently the work was met with a lot of silence. (laughs) (laughs) No one one knew what to make of it. She's just like, okay. And then (laughs) she gets back to New York and suddenly she gets a ton of attention. So, oh, just like people at school didn't know what to say. Yeah, people at school were just like, okay. And then she went to New York and they were like, um, fuck, yeah, what is this? (laughs) She, She says, it was like night and day. As I was reading about each piece and series, I thought back on our conversations about Twain's work and that relates to image and text and it brings up a ton of similar ideas in some ways for me about communication and how language and storytelling except like instead of Toyin's drawings Mm -hmm. these are photographs but same idea she's using text and image okay first piece this is called water bearer it's like one of her most famous pieces which is crazy because it's one of her earliest works so it's cool. She's just sophisticated. It is a black and white image photograph. There's a black woman in the middle. She's wearing a white dress, sort of like a, a the very simplest dress you could have, like a pillowcase dress almost, like sleeveless um, and just straight. The background is black and she's holding out two, like on her left hand, it's a pitcher of water that's pouring to the like left. A, and on her, sort of like a Victorian like pitcher. Mm-hmm. Like stainless not stainless steel but you know like metal Mm -hmm. um and on the right hand it's like a plastic like a distilled water plastic thing that you would buy a gallon of it and she's and that's up higher in her right hand and she's pouring out water on that side on both sides yep and then underneath um in like a sans serif typeface it says she saw him disappeared by the river they asked her to tell what happened only to discount her memory and simpson says Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no, be- we should talk about it. I forget what we're supposed to do on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, the- anyway, just get through the writing. <laughs> the image itself is very high contrast. So the woman, her head is almost blending into the background. And the jugs in her dress are the only things really catching light. So it's like very harsh black and white. Mm-hmm. And then the text is in three rows. Like it's pretty big yeah. text. And it's like staggered. It's not flush left or right or center Mm -hmm. it's just like staggered towards the left 
So she says, at the time of making Water Bear, I was thinking about photography in terms of how we take so much for granted. The way we read photographs and what we want from them and how we're supposed to infer something about the person who's pictured with some kind of clarity, narrative, or truth. In some ways, I wanted to question all the ways in which we look at photography and look for meaning and replace it with something else. Putting text there to take the place of looking for meaning within a photograph, or is she... Yeah, I think that's the whole, like, toying thing, right? It's Mm -hmm. like, it's not necessarily that she's, like, trying to take away meaning. She's just trying to, like, create... You were inferring meaning just from the photograph. Mm -hmm. Now you're inferring different meaning from photo and text. That was how I took it, at least. I think. Um... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, in the works from this period, there's the figure's back is turned to the viewer. You don't see the face. You can't identify who it is, but it's not representative of everyone. It's also not black women in a monolithic sense, but it uses the figure of a woman of color as a kind of universal symbol like, say, Kiki Smith would do. Race isn't questioned here. It's just taken for granted that the figure is black. The text in Waterbearer reads <laughs> what I read. Mm-hmm which ties into the thread running through many of the works. They address memory, either being affirmed or discounted, how unreliable memory is, and how we construct our own narratives based on our own subjectivity. Memory is a complicated thing, and truth and narratives are double-edged swords that serve many different kinds of interests and viewpoints. I did so much research on the unreliability of memory for so many years. (laughs) I was just going to say, it's a lot of what you've talked about in your work. I think the most interesting thing is people think that the more closely tied they are to a memory, that it's the most accurate. Like, you know, I always share this story all the time, but actually the more you recall something and the more you share it, the more unreliable and damaged it is. It's like playing a record, basically. Like the more you bring it up and play it, it gets more and more distorted. And the ones where it jogs your memory and something comes back all of a sudden, that's like the purest memory. I totally sense that because well (laughs) first of all every time my mom tells a story things get more and more dramatic (laughs) and i'm usually the first person she tells it to so Mm -hmm. then i hear her tell it to other people and i'm like you said two hours not five (laughs) like calm down but also i'm kind of starting this idea i haven't done anything with it yet but i with heidi i wanted to just start writing down Like, sometimes I'll think of her. (laughs) She's my friend who's not with us anymore. And so I'll think of her and it'll just come up randomly in my day. Mm -hmm. And then I get what you're saying. Like, this pure memory. I was like, oh, I totally forgot about that thing. And I want to just write it down right away and just compile them that way. Because I feel like there's some things maybe I'll never think of it again. Yeah, yeah. Or I won't ever remember. Like, it's in there somewhere lodged. And then there's the ones that I know very well that Mm -hmm. I talk about all the time. Anyway, um, okay. This continues in a similar vein. Stereo Styles, 1988. This is black and white, kind of high contrast, like we were saying before, except all the backgrounds are white mm-hmm. instead of black. And again, the subject has their back towards us. Mm-hmm. And then it's also a black woman. And it's two, three, five. It's five photos across and then... On a second row, five photos across. And they're different hairstyles. She took these Polaroid photos of her friend Alva Rogers, who's 
a performance artist, actress, singer, very cool person in 10 different hairstyles. They just like spent the afternoon doing all these different hairstyles and taking these Polaroids. So then in the center of the two rows, there's a black strip and it has words and script, like a white script writing. So it says in this order, daring, sensible, severe, long and silky, boyish, ageless, silky, magnetic, country, fresh, and sweet. So these are colloquial advertising words for stereotypical descriptions of women's hair. The text isn't really placed on any photo in particular, and so it's kind of like leaving the viewer up to decide which one fits where and to think about what it even means to be country, what is it? Country Country fresh fresh. (laughs) or whatever, boyish, ageless, Mm -hmm. you know, even though she's from behind, you're not really seeing, just seeing like this one part of her. Um, And then there's this element of seriousness from the black and white photos mixed in with sarcasm from the text. I'm such a fan of this look of repetitive imagery, photo and text. Like these early stuff remind me so much of my early work. I'm telling too. you, you guys are like soul sisters. It's yeah. cute. Like the It's the Coffee Grounds Charlie Brown series reminds me of her one above because it's like black mm-hmm. and white photos with text below. Absolutely. This one remind this one reminds me of these port these four by five portraits I did of family and friends and they would actually mm-hmm. have to they wrote on their portraits. Um now I wish I would have included that one. Maybe I'll still talk about it even though I don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like this style of work really obviously resonates with me yeah okay which isn't really talking about this piece it's just like everything that i'm seeing it brings me back to such a the aesthetic of it yeah it it makes me very excited uh excited for what just in my soul oh (laughs) okay (laughs) i'm glad (laughs) okay so moving on more hair stuff more um black and white imagery this color palette too look at i those know creams. it's all you it's all you oh <laughs> and my the way goodness. it's on the wall it's and so stuff. organized like, and in a grid i know Ooh. i know i know oh uh, okay so she explored this theme Lorna. of hair and wigs you guys are besties i can't wait for it <laughs> please <laughs> it's on felt it's photos on felt wait is this photos on felt or is this waterless lithographs on felt Oh, wait. Yeah, I forgot to tell about Lindsay's, what she was talking about. The felt is creamy colored and there it's just wigs from the back or if the wig is in one of those like net bag things, it's just like hanging from something. And um, some of them are like white people hair some of them look like black hair some of them are doll wigs like down at the bottom mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. see these tiny little yep. doll wigs some are like what's a that mustache. little like eye- is it a mustache <laughs> yeah it's like an eyebrow <laughs> yeah it's like fake hair that men could put on to have a mustache is that fake pubic which is hair down so there? weird yeah i think it's chest hair actually but yeah um so it gets it's weird. It's definitely <laughs> that little V at the bottom, right? It it might be. I read that. Well, I'll I'll tell you. Okay. So she felt. <laughs> she felt. <laughs> uh, she felt like the felt. <laughs> You're such a nerd. I just thought <laughs> you were doing. <laughs> oh. oh, you didn't get it. Nope. 
just thought I was being weird. And you did the little snare thing, and I'm like, something <laughs> I'm missing. <laughs> <sighs> okay. Um, I love how you just stay quiet. You're just like, I'll figure it out. Of it. Yeah. <laughs> She's a weirdo. <laughs> she felt that the felt was kind of mimicking the texture of hair. So that's why she really loved to do these on on felt. And then, mm. obviously, per Lindsay style, there's like little tiny felt pieces in there pinned up that have text on them. So it's just... These are so beautiful. Okay, Mama said... Uh, Moma said the little pieces with text range from shorter cryptic phrases to longer anecdotes alluding to slavery, entertainment, and drag. Stuff like the clothes make a man or what you see is what you get. And if the shoe fits, wear it. Whereas other texts read like strong desire to decipher, strong desire to blur. These opposite desires to make something known or to keep it hidden create a dynamic tension, which Simpson masterfully investigates through the interplay of image and text. Hmm. That's Catherine Love, assistant curator of contemporary art. So those are just texts that's taken from the advertising of these things that she pulls them from, or is she creating She them? pulls them from all over. Sometimes she makes them. Sometimes she pulls them from books or from advertising. So... Because she does it in all of her work. It's from all over. So okay. it's not necessarily in one project from one thing. Okay. She said she lifted text from historical moments where people shifted their identities in terms of race or gender, either to escape slavery or cross-dressing laws in the 1950s Los Angeles, or from a mother's anxiety over the sexuality of her son, given that he likes stockings and mannequins. Lorna bought all the wigs in Brooklyn at Fulton Street Mall, where there's a bunch of wig shops, like, all right next to each other. And she tried to buy interesting ones, weird ones, exotic ones, and then also super stereotypical ones, including a platinum blonde wig from the 1950s, body pieces for men, and two small wig dolls from the turn of the century. Doll wigs? Doll wigs, sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Is it 8.30? That means it's time for me to go to bed. Good night. <laughs> and two small doll wigs from the turn of the century. She didn't have a studio at the time, so she just brought them home and photographed them there on her wall. They might be photoshopped out. Well, maybe not if it's just on a wall. On a white wall. If they're in film, that would just be... That's true. It'd get the texture of it would yeah, get see through out. anyways. Yeah. No so, silver halide crystals there. Oh, like saying that there isn't any. Uh so anyway, I did look up these body pieces for men because mm -hmm. I was like, is that what the, I think that is? And yeah, it's like chest hair, which is really funny. And also we yeah. just need to stop telling men that they need to do certain things to be masculine mm -hmm. if they need to buy chest hair and put it on. <laughs> right. But I don't know. Listen. <laughs> but you're right. That one seems like it's like it's pubic hair because of the way it's on the paper. Or yeah, it's on like the felt. down below like down. and like a very specific shape. Whereas the other one is up where the face would be. Yeah. With like empty space on the bottom. So I don't know. But I was thinking like imagine you're just laying with your guy and it's... <laughs> You have his hand, your hand on his chest and just like Peels. comes off. <laughs> I would just be like, I'm fine with you without hair on your chest. It's so much weirder that you decided to I do that. I actually prefer you without yeah. that. 
Ew. This carpet right here? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, I love this. I love this one. Are you ready? It's called Public Sex, obviously. <laughs> public Sex Series. Was she having I like- sex in public? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's just a performance piece where she's just <laughs> having sex all over the place. <laughs> no, um, I think I also really love the photo on felt thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just saying. I think the reason I like this is because I already liked the felt thing, mm-hmm. but this being tile printed like a whole photo really is like hits me like yeah. the way things are hitting you in your soul this yep. is hitting me in my soul and of course it's like gigantic so i love when things are gigantic okay like these are the i love when dicks ones. are gigantic. yeah <laughs> these go away from portraiture and people they're more like places cityscapes parks motel room a fire escape she wants to get away from the way in which she was making work to try something different she says as an artist i'm fearful not so much of repeating myself but of developing a signature, mm-hmm. Me a too. style by which I know for reals, I'm already trying to run away from myself <laughs> every day. <laughs> I remember that being such a thing in school of like, if you make, if you're known for one thing, that that's all that people are going to want. So it's like, I'm never going to be, <laughs> this is the problem. Like, I'm never going to be consistent. And then everyone's what like, I make. is this yours too? It yeah. doesn't look at all. <laughs> uh blah 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 style by which i'm known that becomes kind of claustrophobic and potentially worrisome this is a quote from Lindsay. i thought (laughs) let's be extreme and drop all that i had relied upon in terms of structures and formulas to start a completely different way of working the voice that's in it the conversation or the stories with their twists and turns i see is very similar to the other work also in terms of my own personal life There was a lot of death and dying at the time, and the absence of the figures seemed particularly appropriate in that context. So this is the 80s, and all her friends are dying of AIDS. That's what's happening. Yeah, I mean, I think the problem with being forced to make work repetitively feels like the demise of your creativity. You don't get to experiment. You don't get to continue growing. And uh, I think that is terrifying. It is like coming to your own death as an artist. Absolutely. But I also have a lot of um, respect for the people that made work like a lot of this like slowly progressed. Mm -hmm. Danny and I saw the um, John McLaughlin retrospective at um, LACMA and you'd go from one room to the next room and Mm -hmm. like in between those two rooms was like 10 years. Yeah. And you could see it still like was similar but he's making tons of stuff. It's just, I don't know. I just, I view them as different sometimes. Like I have respect for both, mm-hmm. but I get scared about getting stuck myself. But sometimes when you look back, you're just like, 10 years sounds so long though. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when you look back and you're like, eh, 10 years, yeah. I mean, that's just 10 years. <laughs> like when you're walking through the retrospective, you're like, oh, 10 years later. Makes sense. He's still the same person. Right. But 10 years is so long. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. And I think it's easier to change if you're interdisciplinary artist versus if you're a painter. I think some people don't want to do like there's some days where I'm just like, I want I like the idea of doing something different. Mm -hmm. But physically, I just want to paint like it's all my hand wants to do. And And sometimes the most exciting thing that someone could do, the most experimental thing is just like add the color purple to (laughs) things. 
just make an entirely purple painting, purple roll painting. it up, and no one opens it for yep. 50 years. And then they open it like, oh, purple? It's all purple? <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So she randomly was in this bookstore. I want to say it was in Portland, but I don't know for sure. She picked up a book called Public Sex, The Culture of Radical Sex by Pat Kalina. It was about, why does it say space? Space and the gay is about space. <laughs> it's about outer space. It was about the gay subculture over the past 50 years. Um, and this is, It was about space and the gay subculture. <laughs> it was about... What word could that be? It's supposed to be a different word. <laughs> Why is it so silly? I just immediately pictured that scene in Star Wars where they're playing, they're like in a bar and those weird animal mm-hmm. aliens are playing. That's what I started picturing. Like space gay subculture. Now when I see that again, I'm going to be like, that's a gay bar for sure. That space gay subculture over there. It's weird. Yeah, I have no idea. Anyways. This next is just as strange. This is how it started. And the series deals with... Oh, this was how it started. Okay. <laughs> Duh. So that's how this series started. Oh, okay. Was her just like picking up this book and looking through it and being like, whoa, weird. And it deals with voyeurism and being watched and ownership. Oh, I understand the space thing now. In a of the space, it was what the, it was about space and oh, gosh. was it about physical spaces? Physical spaces, yeah. So not gay sexual culture, just, but the spaces. I just wrote it weird. Yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ, <laughs> it's about yeah a space. <laughs> okay. Anyway, we're moving on. I'm not even gonna continue. It goes like this. There's a black and white photograph, towel printed on felt. Lorna likes that the felt doesn't, because then on this one, I was like, well, this isn't hair. Why is she still using felt? Yeah. Because it's pretty, first of all, let's be honest. But she likes that it doesn't reflect light, but absorbs it and has this richer aesthetic, which is the reason it's so beautiful, of course. It's why I always liked, um, oh, oh, it was called fiber paper. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I loved buying that. I loved like the matte. It was super and, matte. Yeah. The matte fiber paper because it was like so velvety. Mm-hmm. I agree. I didn't even know back then you could print on felt. Otherwise, I totally would have. I know you should have. You should still to this day. <laughs> Just copy her work. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um. Okay. Printing on felt is not copying. Someone. I think you have such a loose concept of copying someone's work. <laughs> I don't think using the same process as someone else is copying their work. One million people paint. That's not copying someone's work. I can't use oil. It's been done before. It's way too loose. You can be inspired by someone else's use of use of felt and use it in a way. And I'm sure you will build upon it. I start collecting a bunch of wigs. <laughs> then I'd be like, listen, not allowed. Too far. Um, so printing on a photo, you can't do that because a lot of times you have to frame it behind glass. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about this and how much I loved in Jadeka's, just how she hung her drawings. Yeah. I fucking hate framed things. Yeah. <laughs> like I, it totally reduces being able to see the detail and I know it protects the piece, but there's something so awesome about something that's not framed. 
and yeah, I hate things that are framed. And I'm just, I become instantly less interested. If it's like, maybe if it's a drawing, not so much, but with a photo, as soon as it's framed, it, it goes into the context of like family photo Mm -hmm. and I just don't want to see it. I've seen some frame pieces that are physically framed in wood, but there's no no glass. glass. It might be like behind a mat or something, but there's not like a glass barrier. Um, Okay. I'm drinking this juice, which feels like it's making my throat really sticky. (laughs) So I feel like my voice isn't working correct. I'm having to be like, and then I talk and my voice goes in and out or it's like squeaking. What are you, a Venus flytrap? The grossest thing in the world to me is those like rolled up pieces of stickiness oh. that you just hang from yep, places yep. and it just unrolls. Well, what? Like Texas Who Chainsaw the fuck Massacre. thought that was a good idea? That's disgusting. So awful. Like in out. They're just like still. I'm just like. It's also just cruel. Like they get stuck and then they just. I don't care. You really care about flies? I don't give a fuck about flies. Oh no, <laughs> they're stuck and then they die. <laughs> Fuck well, them. At least let it be qu- quick. I don't think they have feelings. Just saying. They also eat poop. <laughs> so I guess some dogs. Dogs, dogs do too. <laughs> Rachel was trying to tell me that cats are smarter than dogs, and I was oh, like, "Get Fuck out of here!" Off. Yeah. Where's your guide I was cat? like, "I was like, no. Here's the difference. We use dogs and we breeded them so that they could do an actual job, <laughs> and cats are still." Them? Hmm. We bred them. <laughs> we bred them to do an actual job, and cats are like half wild still, and that's why they don't do anything that you mm-hmm. ask them to. Because she's trying to be like, well, that's just because they're smarter. I'm like, it's not because they're smarter. It's just because they're just half wild. Dogs have had like thousands and thousands of years of us doing things with them and like using them for jobs. And yeah, dogs carried messages to- across World War II battlegrounds. If you tied a message to a cat. Fun. You would yeah. be screwed. Yeah. Exactly. Like, nah, I'm going to go hang out in the sun. Cats are smarter than dogs. Stupid. Okay. Also, they just hide under a bed all day long. So okay. And moan at you. <laughs> that's a different, that's a terrifying. <laughs> that was my cat. If I tried holding her for too long, she would angry moan. Well, if you held me for too long, I might angry moan. <laughs> by too long i mean uh, a, a, a minute she did not like people what if that was just your way of telling your significant other that you're done cuddling <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> babe what's wrong danny danny just texted me are you okay down there <laughs> He said, I hear whale calls. <laughs> okay, so so going back to the things that the reason she was kind of making those aesthetic choices, she likes the tile print aspect for drawing you into just one square at a time, and it makes for a different way of viewing the piece. And then each photo has accompanying text. Most of them are printed separately and displayed on either side of the piece. But then there's a couple of them that are part of, like it's printed Mm. on top of the photo. And then there's a mixture of of things that really happen. (laughs) 
I'm sorry. I'm the worst. <laughs> oh, there's a mixture of like, <laughs> it's called a true story, Nicole. <laughs> Things that really happen. <laughs> Apollo 13, based on something that really happened. Based on some things that really happened. <laughs> um, okay, so one of the ones that has a P, like the, the writing mm-hmm. on the photo is this one called Still, 1995. Is the writing in this one? Mm-hmm. It's where? really small. You'll see on the next photo. No, I know I can see the details, but where is it in? Oh, I don't know which frame it's on. I don't know. It looks like in the tree somewhere. So it's just a black and white photo, a scene of like a little pond. It looks very public parky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's some sort of like concrete aqueduct thing, like where water probably goes into. So you can tell it's like a man-made scene, sort of, halfway. But there's no people in it. Hidden, kind of, just in the middle of somewhere on there. We don't know. It says in all lowercase, it says two men kiss, but their bodies are hidden by foliage. Is this like real-life observations from these places? Is this one a real-life observation? Yeah. No, no. I'm going to explain. You'll okay. see. Um, and then the, another one says, there is a glimpse of a woman checking her watch as she walks by two people arguing. This text draws the viewer into the surface of the work and, quote, almost before one realizes it, one's role of surveillance is made physically apparent by moving this distance from outside the pictorial space up to its surface. The viewer has intruded undetected into the sight of their implied narratives. That's a quote from Sarah J. Rogers. So she's making the viewer the voyeur by forcing you to like come in super close and read these things. And So the text itself, like that's not something that she was witnessing and kind of being a voyeur and then you were put in her place? Nope. I'm going to explain. Oh, okay. Right now. Um, a lot of the text was taken from this guy. His name... He's a sociologist. His name is Loud Humphreys, which is the creeperiest name in the whole world. <laughs> He's a fucking creep. Um, just by his name? Just Loud by his Humphreys. name. But he actually is a creep. Okay. So he was studying, aka being a voyeur in the name of science, anonymous male-on-male sexual encounters in public bathrooms. What? In like the 1960s. And he would get these guys' license plate numbers and then go to the DMV and get their addresses and then go to their house and interview them under false pretenses in front of their families. What? Like, what the fuck? So at the time, it's the 60s he ex- he and would, 70s. He wouldn't like expose them, right? He wouldn't. But... That's Some of the questions insane. were a little leading, but mm-hmm. he would not expose them, no. Um, so it's late 60s, early 70s. Half of these guys were leading double lives, worked hard to be perceived as straight, mm-hmm. had families and wives, et cetera, et cetera. It was super problematic. Well, society was problematic, not, yeah. the, not <laughs> yeah. I these wrote, men. I wrote, I wouldn't know. Maybe being on drugs was a better idea in those days. Because there was so much weird shit going on that people said it was okay. Like hitchhiking, smoking on planes, and not wearing sunscreen. (laughs) And being being super racist, homophobic, misogynistic. Not much different than now, right? 
<laughs> it's like when people glorify the 60s and 70s and be like, it was such a great time. And I'm like, for um, some. <laughs> maybe. If you're white. Yeah. So it, there's one called The Park, 1995. A lot of the writing is based off this guy's book. So that's what those little like instances that you oh. read in the one before yeah. are kind of from there. And um, if you can see this one, it's same. Like on the right hand side, there's a bunch of writing from this. I wonder man. what went wrong in his life to make him think that it's okay to stalk people. I don't know, but I also truly think that the 60s were that fucked up. That goes into such a serial killer in the making direction as far as like how he did. Like I think of Sophie Cow's work and I believe it was a dress book where she found this person's address book and she like Address or address? (laughs) He said it two different ways. (laughs) He swapped. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just fucking with you. (laughs) But she went to see them to get a picture of who the person was whose address book it was. Um, But that seems more interesting and like more on a level that seems okay. I'm sorry, but the first creeper part was he fucking was watching them have sex. That was the first thing he did. That wasn't the second thing he did. That was the first problem was he's watching their sexual encounters. Then he goes on. I don't understand why. Okay. Are you ready for some video work? Oh for my some God, film? I'm so excited. This is a fun one because this is where I went off on a thousand tangents finding more information about stuff. <laughs> yep. Um, so my first, oh no, this one isn't, but the next one is. But my first impression of this video is how so cute life was when people talked on the phone. Like... <laughs> They just, I know this isn't Lorna's intended reaction, but it was the 90s and they're just so cute. They would just like call each other and wait for them to answer and they couldn't see them. <laughs> they couldn't text them beforehand and they you know, would talk. And then you can still do this. I know, but it's not the same. It will never be the same. You know, in like middle school, junior high-ish, when you're, like, you're first starting to like get crushes, mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe for you end of high school. Well, listen, I had crushes. I just couldn't tell my mother about them. So that's why she thought I was a lesbian. It's fine. Okay. Anyway, call waiting. Okay. So it was so cute how they were just talking on the phone, except it was not cute. The subject of all the matters. It's a black and white video. Okay. Film noir style, which I didn't know what that meant, but I'm sure Lindsay does. Mm -hmm. It's a cinematic term used primarily to describe stylish Hollywood crime dramas Mm-hmm. Particularly those that emphasize cynical attitudes and sexual motivations, <laughs> which is yep. definitely what this is. Um, okay. Pretty much everything is about sex or like the implication of sex. Uh, it starts out with this. You can see in this photo, the shadow of a man behind a glass door, presumably in his office on a laptop computer, which looks very small for the 90s. You can just hear that like the music. <laughs> Oh yeah, like that <laughs> you meant the old... typing noise. <laughs> <laughs> no, just that old kind of um, you know, what's that? Except there's no music in this; it's silent, <laughs> so it's well, very awkward. Like vibe of it, it's kind of like yes. um, Black Dahlia esque, you know, like suspense, mm-hmm. jazzy. Um, so he, this businessman, is calling and talking to this woman, and then they show the woman, and she's like in her bedroom in a nightgown, and she's speaking really vaguely. Because there's this guy in her bed and he's there and she kind of like turns and checks if he's like asleep or not. And then she leaves the room 
And then he like opens his eyes and reaches for a different phone to have a convo with presumably another partner of his. Like they're both seeing different other people. And then Uh this kind of goes on with like a thousand different people. And it's kind of like love actually where they're all connected somehow. And then it'll like go back to a different person. So then it goes to the person person that they called and then their life Mm -hmm. and what they're doing. Or it'll go to, yeah, or it'll go to a new person and then they're talking to another new person. But then it's like, hold on, I have a call on the other line. And then it'll pick up and it'll be the other, like the original office guy or whatever. And so, and then they'll be, when they talk to other people, they'll be talking like, oh yeah, he said this and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, who? And then... (laughs) it's all like cheese may you know like drama yeah. <laughs> gossip um cheese so made cheese may is gossip in spanish oh danny and i <laughs> like, like if you're a cheese <laughs> like if you're a chismoso you're like a gossip person <laughs> like you're like love gossip um and in a review of the exhibition by marty spellerberg In call waiting, Simpson looks at the scrambled state of interpersonal communications and the distances produced in our contemporary society. The characters exist within an environment of frustration in which they are unable to escape their alienation and find themselves drawn deeper into as a result of their efforts. Their lives seem to be joined by the telecommunications technology, which is a funny way to say cell phone, (laughs) by phones. yet it is that which keeps them apart Hmm. and i felt that that was kind of interesting to look at today because we all know and feel how technology and phones in particular have continued to bring us together especially now during covid but also Mm -hmm. alienate us in a lot of ways absolutely (laughs) i said social media is 1998 on crack okay here's the one where i went on these tangents corridor 2003 This film is a side-by-side of two black women. They're from different periods of time. So the woman on the right, in these photos, they're backwards, and I don't understand why. But in the video, the video on the right, the woman seems like she's enslaved or just recently freed black woman. But like you can tell it's from that time period. And on the left, the woman's in this like nice 60s-looking home, like all modern And it follows them simultaneously doing super mundane activities just in their house. So Is that right? On the right, it looks more like the 60s household to me. And on the left, it looks like... I literally just said that. Were you not listening? Oh, okay. I don't know why. I couldn't even explain it. I'm like, is it if it's a projection and then you take a picture? And I'm like, no, that's still wrong. So I don't know why it's that way. Okay. No, I I didn't hear you. I was looking at the photos and... I don't think I was listening. (laughs) That's okay. It's just all I need for you is to admit it. So that's fine. So they're like looking in the mirror and she's like putting on her clothes. And, you know, a lot of the images are perfect. Like there's one where she's talking on the phone and her back is to you, kind of similar with her earlier works. And then the other woman is writing a letter back to you. Mm. It's really slow and uninteresting. (laughs) (laughs) it's but the soundtrack is so intense (laughs) and it's come so then afterwards and it really like it makes the whole thing otherwise you just i mean it's still slow then the soundtrack is like what the fuck (laughs) (laughs) you're just constantly confused so it sounds so it's composed by john davis and it's really hard to listen to at times because it's like classical piano playing or 
like classical music and then jazz on top of each other. So it's basically like someone has the radio on and the TV on at the same time. Like like the jazz and then like like a whole different like you should just pull it up. I'll just finish this little part. But when I looked into it to create this, he used a bunch of different pieces composed by a man named Blind Tom, whom I can't wait to tell you about. But listen first. I really like the beginning. Now the jazz is coming in. It's very unsettling. Yeah, it makes you like nervous. It sounds like a symphony warm up. I don't know what that means. You know, when you go to like a symphony or like an orchestra. Oh, thing? like they're literally warming up their yeah, instruments. Yeah, when they're warming up and everyone's doing their own thing. Yeah. <laughs> sounds terrible. I think so much comes from a very primitive place in how our brain works and what are natural and organic sounds and why horror movie sounds are so creepy is that they are unnatural. They're not Mm -hmm. things that we would hear out in nature and like the rhythms and the screechiness and it's very industrial and very erratic. Mm -hmm. And so I think that specifically like that jazz song on there mimicked that at least in my opinion it was very no i totally all over the place and like really rapid and like adding that layer of anxiety to what you're watching yeah for sure so blind tom did you hear what i said about some of the pieces being composed by him no (laughs) john davis used a lot of blind tom's pieces there's no physical recordings of blind tom's music but there's like the music written so he recorded a lot of those to be i'm assuming the piano parts i have to tell you about blind tom he was this black musical prodigy who lived in the 1800s he was born blind and his mom and dad were sold as slaves to this family and because and he was sold with them but because he was blind he couldn't do anything that the slaves had to do so he just kind of and he was really young So he just kind of like ran around the plantation and did whatever. He definitely had autism, but they didn't know that back then. Mm -hmm. And he would like refer to himself. I mean, for a while he couldn't even talk, um, but he would refer to himself in the third person a lot. Like, Tom is pleased to meet you. Um, And he could mimic literally anything. So I'll start at the beginning. He somehow came across a piano in the house he was enslaved at. And he would start playing and it just, he was like an amazing piano player. No one taught him how, obviously. And so at the age of five, he composed his first piece. And it was because like the night before there was this torrential downpour on their tin roof. And so that had inspired him and he wrote this whole piece at five. And everybody, so he was like a savant basically, you know. But at five, he still couldn't speak. He was like communicating his needs and grunts and stuff. And he could mimic, like I said, a lot of things like later in life, he would go to speeches that were held like in public forum or whatever. He could later mimic the entire speech word for word, including all the little like mannerisms and like the jeering of the crowd and all that kind of almost like a soundtrack. Like he just like, wow, like recorded it and spat it back out kind of thing, which is crazy. So I don't know who, how this started or like who decided that they could just take control of him, but obviously it was probably for money. But he was brought on tour by some like European general to Europe. And then like that guy's son started like taking over those duties. 
but he made nearly $100,000 a year, which is like $1.5 million today per year. And he's basically the 19th century's most highly compensated pianist. Wait, Blind Tom made that, not the general's? Yeah, Blind Tom made that. I'm sure he was taken advantage of. Mm -hmm. I mean, they didn't say that, but I'm almost positive. Yeah. But yeah, he made that money. And the man that was his manager was married to this woman. It's kind of a long story, but she later divorced him. And they went through this huge legal battle. And it was like also a custody battle of Tom, even though he was like an adult by that time. Eventually, he couldn't perform anymore. And his mental and physical health deteriorated. And he had like a few strokes. And then he eventually died of a stroke in 1908. Mm. Um, But... Like I said, no recordings of his music exist, but the sheet music does. And Elton John wrote a song about him on the Diving Board album. Really? Is it called anyway, Blind it's Tom? It's called, yeah, Blind Tom, some Ballad of Blind Tom or something mm-hmm. to that effect. Without knowing Blind Tom's story, just listening to the jazz, like overlapping over the the classical music, all I could think of was just the history of jazz and how that came out of being enslaved and like... And then how people used it and like started doing shit in blackface and like even rock and roll and all the music that America is built on and famous for and the music that we love and feel like is ours is all built on the backs of black people. And it made it definitely like, I don't know how to say sharpened that the music aspect and like the history behind it kind of sharpened the idea that she was already communicating visually for me okay over the years lorna has worked on multiple series of collages appropriating images from vintage ebony and jet magazine it was kind of like a household thing that was just the magazines they had in their house and she was cleaning her studio one time when she came across her grandmother's magazine she had like a big box of them and she was worried about messing them up and she was going to put them in like special paper you know coverings Mm -hmm. and stuff and then she just started looking through them and realized how interesting they were so she started buying them at flea markets she says as i was looking for different images or reading through texts in those magazines i became completely fascinated by the perspective who it's written for the audience the way the things were written historical contexts etc so she uses this for a lot like from that point on pretty much all of her imagery that she has and all her concepts kind of are appropriated from that magazine or taken from that magazine. These those, next ones I love. I know. These are my Oh my these god. These are my favorite. So, it's funny she had this ice theme going on even then. The color is this like gray. I know. <laughs> You're is so my cute. flux on. <laughs> hold on disable for an hour it's still gray yeah it's still beautiful so yeah Yeah. go ahead describe it if you want to okay there's from what i see is four layers there's the very back layer is like a cream piece of paper on top of that is like a gray piece of paper and it leaves so you can only see like a little border of the cream on the outside then there's a thicker border of the gray paper and then in the center of that is a photograph. And then on top of the photograph of like a landscape photograph is a human based cutout that's collaged on top of the photo. Right? Yeah. Is that? Yep. Yes. And the landscape is like ice 
mountains kind mm-hmm. of like I see sculpture mountains. It looks like it's actually been sculpted by people. Like there's like steps yeah. going to the ice castle thing. And then the photo, the like foreground photo with the person is a black woman sitting in like a makeup chair up next to a mirror with lights on it. Mm-hmm. Presumably like doing her makeup or something. Yeah. And the color palette. So it's just like creams and blacks and mm-hmm. grays. Like it's just so muted and beautiful. Mm-hmm. So that one's called Mirrors 2019. Is it just these two or did she do? No, more? there's a bunch of them. You can go look okay. at all of them. And then this one's called Reflections. Yeah. Reflections 2019. Similar like the hmm. cream back one and then a gray and then it background photo is again like a naturey there's kind of a house in it but it's mostly this pond with trees and then in the middle of the pond is a different collaged photo of it must be like a black woman looking in a mirror because there's two of her and they're like reflecting each other kelly jones says in those collage works i think it's extending the idea of glamour but i think it's also in many ways about caressing the archive and holding it close so here's some more of them. So some of them are more crude. Like you can see this one, like it's yeah. literally a square of the person's head and then just put on top of another body. So then she just decides she's a painter. Because <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't want to get repetitive. Yeah, she says, don't tie me down. So here's some painting stuff that she's been working on. Wow. Is this whole installation hers? Yeah, she has a few little sculptures in here. Not little, but. Okay, the entire show is called Unanswerable, and it's at, it was at Hauser & Wirth in London in 2018. Uh, this is an installation shot, so you got these three square, large, what would you say those are, like nine by eight or eight, seven by eight or something? Yeah. They're mainly black and white, but then there's these like really deep blue, like super saturated blue washes in mm-hmm. some parts of them. And a little bit of red on the right one, right? Yeah. Yeah. I haven't looked at that one up close. It's purpley red, I think. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. And then she has the Ebony magazine stacked all over the, f- like in different piles on the floor. And some on like little weird looking chairs. Yeah, like, <laughs> like weird dark academia like chairs. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um. And then. Yeah, they're kind of like spider feet stools. Yeah. And then on top of those, like on top of some of the stacks or like in between stacks or just on the floor are these, they're not actually ice, but mm-hmm. these sculptures that are meant to look like ice. It's like, well, I don't know what it's made of, um, Maybe, but just glass. like gigantic ice blocks. And then a sculpture to the right. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I forgot about that sculpture. <laughs> that huge. Yeah. Like- <laughs> <laughs> 11 it's because sculptor. i didn't end up i went back and forth about like including an actual picture of it but i didn't and then there's this gigantic snowball sculpture on the right side <laughs> also in that same material that's meant to look like snow half of a body that's sitting like with their legs crossed and hugging their knees and then the bust part or whatever like from the neck up or the collarbone up looks like it's made more from like bronze. metal or bronze or something if you close up on, if you look at a detail of the paintings, there's pieces of text in there or like like blown up pieces of new, of the magazine writing, but they're in strips. Like you can't really see what it's actually written, but it's kind of collaged in there. What are you describing? The painting. Like I said, there's kind of this like landscape 
glacier thing happening, but there's also this dark smoke, like when there's a fire, mm-hmm. like black smoke. They're really moody, and Hauserworth describes the colors as inky blacks, grays, and startling acid blue, which I mm-hmm. thought was a good description of that blue. Yeah, the cloud stuff, it almost looks like volcanic ash billowing. Yeah, it's vi- it's kind of violent feeling. Yeah. So Hauser and Worth says in their statement, for Simpson, ice has a significance since it recalls the expression to be on ice or in prison, as well as Eldridge Cleaver's 1968 book, Soul on Ice, written while the renowned activist was incarcerated in Folsom State Prison. Prison is where one does time and is an enforced form of isolation from wider society. And yet, Simpson remarks, there's something about ice that has come into the work that indicates either freezing or endurance. She continues in this vein throughout all of 2019. I was going to say last year. I can't believe 2020 (laughs) is going to be over. Uh, But the work becomes darker and a bit more abstracted. Literally darker or more like aesthetic like i don't even know what the word would be physically darker yeah like literally Literally darker yes (laughs) the color is darker um here is phonographic phonographu what that must be a typo yeah down below it says phonographic okay (laughs) yeah (laughs) um the work is large again super blue yeah as opposed to the collage works like Photographic is 12 feet long and 8 feet high. Sorry. What am I doing? Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> You're recording a podcast? <laughs> Photographic looks like an image, like a black and white image. I mean, it is. So a lot of mm-hmm. these are silk screens on not canvas, but like aluminum or whatever, like a metal almost. And then shipped to her studio and then she paints on top of them. Hmm. So this one just looks like a straight on view of a glacier in the water and then she's just painted about three quarters of the way up the glacier she's like here's where the sea level is gonna be in a yeah. few years <laughs> i know right <laughs> <laughs> it's not there it's there um yeah just blue just like a straight blue it's really pretty that one's my favorite yeah i like this one a lot the like cream background with the blue with the photograph oh she's so good I know. Although I hate to disappoint you, I don't think the cream. It's just a canvas. That's the wall. Sorry. Oh, really? The cream is the wall. Yeah. Oh, she should border (laughs) them in cream. They're gigantic. They're like, they're like, like I said, they're like 12 feet long. I'm going to steal that then. I'm going to border everything (laughs) in cream. I mean, yeah. This is a group of work also done in 2019 and... It builds on her ice works, like visually, but incorporates collage faces more. So this is special characters number six. It's kind of like a double. There's like two faces. They're different, laid on top of each other, kind of op- like um, transparent, like parts of them are transparent to reveal the other one underneath. And it's just in the center. And then she paints this like drippy, a little bit drippy, washy, purpley red color you were talking about. This one called Flamethrower is... I like this one. Me too. She's kind of building off her hair thing again, where it's this like marigold yellow. She leaves the background on this one, which I think is what I like. Leaves Mm -hmm. it that photograph, like gray, silvery, 
Well, the the portrait of this this woman is like what is it half tone, right? Was what it's called. Mm-hmm. The like from dot the magazine. printing. Yep. Yeah, and then it looks kind of Warholy, as if like they just silk screen the silhouette of you know like her face and hair over it, and then she painted even more yellow on top of that. Mm-hmm. So it's actually like very graphic. And, and there the is another face now that I see. It's super yeah. light laid on top of there. Mm-hmm. So that's why like one eye comes out, but it's because it's an entirely separate face. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that one. So we're only three hours in. I'm so proud of us. <laughs> <laughs> 2020. <laughs> As of this year, Lorna was holed up in LA like the rest of us in our homes with her actress daughter who graduated mm-hmm. from Columbia this year. So she was working to like graduate while we were all shut down. She's slowly edging back to work, says Tom Seymour, who interviewed her in May. Quote, but I'm spending every day trying to make something. The COVID-19 crisis has, she says, had a deep impact on her. There are days when I'm like, okay, we've got this. And then there are days when I'm like, okay, that's the fourth time I've cried in an hour. (laughs) And there's an insanity to the U.S. government's response, she says. It's breathtakingly ignorant and dangerous. Simpson has already lost close friends, including the critic and art historian Maurice Berger, to mm-hmm. the virus, who we talked about. Yep. All these waves of death, she says. Very interesting times that we're living in, in terms of America. So this, she actually said in an interview earlier, like in 2019. But okay. obviously Trump was still president. So Very interesting times that we're living in, in terms of America. And very scary times, unwieldy, crazy presidency, the anxiety that causes internationally. It's an interesting time, no matter how great or how happy I can be with the work I'm making or this freedom that I've made for myself. As soon as I walk out the door in any of these 50 states is a different story. But I think what I fear more is apathy. I've always worked in all sorts of circumstances, so working for me is a way of life. America's in a unique state of denial, Simpson believes. There was a lot of ignorance during the 1980s. Now we're seeing the specter of that again. The lack of compassion, people's refusal to face science, the level of governmental ignorance, of power based on ignorance, has endangered people's lives, literally. Can anything good come out of this? So many things will change after coronavirus, and we will learn a lot of things scientifically, says Simpson. But do we have the wherewithal and the strength to start thinking of everyone, rather than to further disintegrate into clans and tribes, she pauses. I think we need to. She's very accomplished. I will not list all of her amazing things, but <laughs> feel free <laughs> to check out her CV on her website. I don't I literally, feel worse. <laughs> if you're a masochist, go for yeah. it. Have fun. Feel bad about yourself. So I got all this stuff from Lorna's website, Wikipedia, New York Times, MoMA.org, Canary Islands Digital Memory Collections, because (laughs) the internet is weird. (laughs) I don't know. But I really needed that. It was this PDF all on that, like, felt public sex series. Oh, wow. It was a gigantic thing Also, there's so, like, so the two pieces you sent me separately was more of these beautiful photographs. There are silkscreen on felt pieces that were stunning and some kind of jars that she used that <sighs> yeah, were Yeah, that piece was like, it was really early on in her career and it was like this beautiful, it was like all these old rooms and I learned that the house is 
like this old plantation type house where they have weddings and stuff. It was really pretty. And then my personal favorite, which I didn't even include, were these silk screened images of cities and stuff on Japanese magazine or Japanese oh, newspapers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, I'm going to continue reading real quick. Halfempty.com, okay. yep. Foundation for the Exhibition of Photography, interview for the Paris Review, held with Heidi Zuckerman, who is a curator of the Aspen Art Museum and is also has a good part art yep. podcast called Conversations About Art. Art 21, The Guardian, Hauser & Wirth, Art Forum, and The Getty. Photos by Melissa Sands, Caroline Tompkins, and James Wang. Those are the ones I could find. If nice. you know if any of these other photos are yours, let me know. Yay. I want to become <sighs> her. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Also, just go watch. She has a ton of like long lecture videos that you could watch. And watching mm-hmm. her speak, she's just she's just a damn badass. She's like eloquent and just easy to listen to. Like she doesn't sound too highfalutin, but she's serious, like pretty serious mm-hmm. about what she's talking about. She's so incredibly productive. I can't believe how much work she has made in just 2019. That's yeah. crazy. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. That was Lorna, and uh, if you like this podcast, if you could please rate, review, subscribe, that helps us so much. Helps any podcast that you like. Just mm-hmm. do that for people. Let people know that you're listening to it, and that they or DM too. us. I answer all the DMs on Instagram. She does. Follow us on Instagram. Just gas, Brad. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, one day, Brad. Can you come be a guest on our podcast one day? I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> when COVID is over, I'm finding Brad and making him mm-hmm. come to my house. <laughs> and I'm going to record in my basement. Brad, Not creepy at all. <laughs> and then I'm going to get your license plate number You're and follow gonna you go to, to your house. And I'm going <laughs> to confront your girlfriend and ask her <laughs> all sorts of ploring questions about ploring, implying prying prying i think was what i wanted prying works all of you got there eventually dana was gonna correct me anyway so i just had to correct myself (laughs) i heard it okay okay i love you i love you so much okay bye 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 oh sabrina told me i didn't know this but sabrina and olivia were hanging out with me down at the horses and they went to leave, and Olivia was like, bye. And I was like, okay, bye. And they laughed, like, no, that's how you say bye. And I was like, what? <laughs> you do. It's and so Olivia cute. You're like, said, bye. And Olivia was like making fun of me. She's like, bye. <laughs> okay. Like, I've never said that bitch, again. Bye. But apparently I just did, bye. <laughs> but you do okay. it a cuter Goodbye. way. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> Bye bye.